You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Let's continue standing and worshiping as we pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glorious privilege that we have as your children to come together and to worship the name of Jesus Christ. There's no greater endeavor we can put our minds and hearts to on this earth than lifting high your name. There's no more satisfying thing we can, we can do, Lord, than to simply stop and to get our eyes and our hearts fixed on you and to worship the wonderful name of our God. Father, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us outside. And Lord, I pray that your sun, the light of your sun, would shine brightly inside today in every heart in this place. God, would you open our eyes to see the truth of Jesus in a greater way. Father, would you open our hearts to hear this word and understand this word and apply the message from your word today. God, as we gather today, we have so, we're so full of thankfulness for, for your salvation, for your word, for your church. And God, I pray now in this next few minutes that you just speak to every single one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we can't even do this without you, God. We can't even preach and hear the word of God without you. So God, we declare our dependence and our need for you and our desire for you and you alone today together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to go ahead and and grab a seat. You can turn through your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 today. Acts chapter 16, but before we get there, have to, have to uh, give a shout out to our moms. Yay, moms! Thanks for joining me in that. I thought you were going to leave me hanging there. You know, we're grateful for our moms. We really are. And uh, we um, know that you have a big task. The kids that God has entrusted to you to raise in the love and fear of the Lord is no small thing. And we know you do so so diligently. And so we just want to tell you that we, we notice that, we see that, and we're grateful for you. It is a unique and special calling, our moms, isn't it? Well, I couldn't do it for sure. Uh, such a unique and special calling. So thank you, moms, for your diligence uh, in uh, raising uh, our kids, your kids. And uh, just know this, you're making a, you're, your lives are making a lasting, you're leaving a lasting imprint on the world by just your lives in, in leading them and uh, leading your kids. And sometimes you think your job is uh, unnoticed. And sometimes you think, is it going to make a difference? It is making a difference, and it will make a difference. So be encouraged by that today. Uh, you are deeply loved by God and by your church. I also just want to shout out to those women here that don't have kids. I know it's going to be a hard day for you. And I just want you to know this today, that just because you don't have kids doesn't mean your life can't make a huge difference in this world as well. And so know that your your lives as well uh, are making a difference in us. We see your love for the Lord and your desire to follow him. And so uh, know that you're also valued and cherished and loved in our church. And so today on the way out, we have a gift for all women, not just moms, but all women. And so you'll get that on the way out the door. Also, just so you know, if you haven't seen it yet, there's a little photo booth out in the hallway over here. Uh, And so we we encourage you to stop by there. I know we always want to get pictures on Mother's Day. And we're finally all dressed up with our kids, right? And then we go home and get all messed up. So before you get messed up, and go out there. There's, we're going to use your your phone to do it, but there's someone out there to take your picture. You can leave with a kind of a Mother's Day token. And so I uh, pray you're blessed today and, uh, and know your love today, mothers and, and women in our church. I know you're also waiting for a Mexico update. We just got back. Um, we're not going to give you one today because there's too much stuff going on. Uh, but next week, I'll give you a quick Mexico update. Um, well, God's doing a lot of great things there, and I can't wait to share with you what he's doing so you can get excited about going and uh, being a part of what God is doing in Mexico. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we're at today, though. So if you want to uh, turn there in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up so an usher can get a copy of God's Word in your hand to follow along. I've simply entitled the sermon today this, uh, God Moves in Unexpected Ways. 
God moves in unexpected ways. I read a Chinese proverb a while ago that goes something like this. It kind of helps understand where this text is going. It's, this is how this, the Chinese proverb goes. Uh, one day a farmer gets a horse, and soon after he gets a horse, it runs away. And as soon as the horse runs away, his neighbor comes to the, Mr. Mr. Downer neighbor comes to the, to the fence. He's like, bad news, eh? Farmer says, good news, bad news, who really knows? Ironically enough, a couple days later, the horse came back and brought with him a wild horse, another horse, and neighbor shows up at the fence soon as he sees the horse come back, and he shows up at the fence, he's like, good news, eh? Farmer says, good news, bad news, who really knows? Farmer immediately gives the horse to his son, the second horse, and as his son's training the horse and, and breaking the horse, the son gets bucked off the horse and badly breaks his leg, of which the neighbor shows up at the fence. Who needs a neighbor like this, right? And what does he say? Bad news, hey? To which the farmer replied, good news, bad news, who can really say? Not long after the farmer's son broke his leg, the emperor came by to draft all able-bodied men to war, of which the farmer's son was not able to go, of which the neighbor shows up to once again proclaim that good news, eh? I guess he's Chinese, not Canadian. I added the A for my own. (laughs) Making the Chinese proverb Canadian for you. To which the farmer replies, good news, bad news, who can really say? Kind of a silly little proverb, but isn't that just like life? Full of unexpected interruptions that somehow God weaves together for his good and the grand story that he is making in our lives. Think of your own life. So, so, many, so many good things and, and bad things, unexpected things that ultimately make your story that God is in control of. This is sort of chapter 16 of Acts. Uh, this is how chapter 16 unravels for us. It's full of unexpected that God will ultimately show his sovereign control over and he'll use to accomplish his work in the believers and to drive his mission forward in the world around us. We're going to start today at 15 verse 36. Because we didn't finish, because that's where we finished off last week. But all under this, as we get into now Paul's second missionary journey. So Paul's first missionary journey is done. We've been tracking what's happening since the Holy Spirit came in Jerusalem and all these little, all these little flames are showing us how, how the movement of God is happening as God's Spirit moves. And so this is now Paul's second missionary journey and it starts with an unexpected. Look at the little subheading in, in 15 verse 36. Paul and Barnabas separate. Because we're covering so much text today, I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to summarize some for you. But, but here's a huge unexpected. So Paul and Barnabas, remember them? They're like, they're, like, they're like ministry partners. They're like the Lone Ranger and Tonto. They're like Batman and Robin. And they're like this, this awesome team that is like doing great things for God. All of a sudden they get a sharp disagreement at the end of chapter 15. You think Christian brothers could work it out, work it out and surely they can work this out. I guess they couldn't, right? Sometimes our sinfulness takes over. They have a sharp disagreement over simply John Mark. And, and Barnabas wants to bring him, because remember Barnabas? Well, he's a good guy. He's got so many strengths. Paul's like, remember a few chapters ago, Barnabas like sold us out and he left us? We don't know why, probably because he, you know, maybe he was afraid of what was coming. Or bottom line is Paul's like, he's not coming with us. He sold us out. We need somebody who we know has our backs. And so they get in such, such sharp disagreement over this. Don't we get in disagreements over petty little things? They get in sharp, such a sharp disagreement over this. You think more, that these are godly men. You think that they figure this stuff out, but they eventually split ways. They can't resolve this conflict, and it's an unexpected, like, what in the world? I wouldn't expected that in the book of Acts. Like, these are all godly people, but yet, what does God do to this unexpected? He takes now, instead of just having one team going forward to the gospel, he has two teams spreading out. 
and unexpected that God uses for good. And so uh, Paul grabs Silas and says, Silas, you're coming with me. Barnabas is like, I'm sticking with John Mark. And so two teams now going out, Paul and Silas taking off. Chapter 16 is where they go. Uh, Barnabas and John Mark stay in Cyprus. Timothy joins Paul and Cyrus, Silas. So Paul and Cyrus pick up a draft pick, Timothy. This is the same Timothy that is written in this first and second Timothy. He's the guy that's going to become Pastor Timothy. And so he's a young guy that kind of picks up. He's like, I want to come. You want a missionary journey? I want to come. And so Timothy, though, first thing he does before he goes on this missionary journey, it's super unexpected. Think about unexpected. This is super unexpected. He offers to get circumcised. You're like, What? Didn't they just fight that battle in chapter 15? He doesn't have to get circumcised. That's exactly what they did. So Gentiles don't have to get circumcised anymore. But Timothy realizes that if we're going to be on a missionary journey and we're going to reach Jews, if I'm going to be allowed into synagogues and I'm not going to put a stumbling block before the Jewish people, I will do whatever it takes. And so get me circumcised. I don't know about you, but that's unexpected for me. I thought chapter 15 would have been like the, woohoo, don't have to go there. He's like, sign me up. What in the world's going on? Well, Timothy is so into the mission of Jesus. He's saying, I'm not going to have anything come between the gospel and anybody. If I, anything in my power I can do to make sure that the, there's no stumbling block for anybody, I'm going to do it. And it shows us really the all-in nature of the gospel call, the fact that we are like, nothing's supposed to hinder us. Whatever we can do, we do to get the gospel forward. And, and you look at Timothy and you, you see, man, this guy's all in for the gospel. Unexpected kind of all in, but he's all in. And it really shows us a quick glimpse of, and this is how urgent the message is. This is how, how intense our desire to get the message out should be. We should be willing to do whatever it takes. And I even look at the life of Timothy and I think, man, and we sometimes complain about, wow, I got to sacrifice a little bit. I got to, you know, time and commitment and, oh, man, is it really worth it? But what does Timothy show us? Man, this is the urgent call of a gospel mission that we have in our lives. It's a good reminder of the urgency that God has for us. Ultimately, in all these things, the first little few text sections that I just summarized for you, it's just showing us that, hey, God's on the move and he's going to get the gospel out and he's going to do it through a series of unexpected, not as we plan, not as we think it should happen, but in a way that leaves no doubt that God has done it. And so that's where we pick up the text here in chapter 16, verse 6. The believers, already a couple of unexpected. Here's another couple of unexpected for them. As they set out on the second missionary journey, the Macedonian call. Let me read for you. Read along with me. And as they went through the region of, of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did also not allow them to go there. So passing by, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. of, And it was a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come on over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called them or called us to preach the gospel to this group of people. This is where the main story starts. It's God moving in unusual ways through his people to accomplish unprecedented things for his glory. And here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes as you think about the unexpected movement of God in the, getting the mission forward. It's no, number one is this, that God's leading is often unpredictable. God's leading is often unpredictable. 
We talk about being on mission a lot and what's it look like and what's it take. Well, here's the truth you just have to know as you live on mission for Jesus Christ. God's leading is often unpredictable. This is a reality we need to grab a hold of as we seek the Lord and fulfill his calling in our lives. God doesn't always lead us in the predictable ways or the logical ways of which we think he should. Consider even this in this, te- this part of the text. These are, these are God's men undoubtedly seeking God and praying to God. And they have their travel plans nailed. They're going into Asia. They get to the border of Asia and God's like, uh-uh, not going there. That's pretty unexpected for them. I'm sure they told the people before they were going, hey, pray for us, we're going to Asia. They pray for God's favor. And so they get to the border of Asia and they're like, we're not supposed to go there. Like, what happened? How did this, how did this play out? We're not exactly sure. It doesn't tell us in the text. Was it because there was border guards there denying their, their visas? Probably not. Was it because there's some sort of law saying they can't go there? Uh, probably not. It says in the text the Holy Spirit was leading them. So as they are walking, here's what's probably happening. God, make this clear. Make this real. If this is where you want us to go, open this door. They get there and the Holy Spirit, through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, probably like an angst in their hearts or an unsettledness, he's like, you can't go there. It's pretty unexpected. Like their travel plans were laid. They're on their way. And so they realize they can't go there. So they start trying to go to the next closest place, Bithynia. Look what happens in verse 7. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there either. And then a really unexpected thing happens. They're like, what then, God? They go to sleep one night and a vision comes to them. Let's all say, God can send a vision, right? God can do that, right? Say, God can do that. Absolutely, he can. So this vision of a guy in Macedonia saying, come, come here, come with me, come, come, come preach to us. And man, these guys must have been really in tune with the Lord because they had this vision. They didn't wake up in the morning and be like, man, was it the bad Chinese we had last night? What was going on? They wake up going, that was a weird dream. Like they woke up and they're, they just, they're so in tune with God. Get this. They're so in tune with God. They just knew that this must be where God is calling them to. So they dropped everything and went to Macedonia. It's so amazing how God leads them because look what happens in Macedonia. The first thing they do there, they set sail from Troas. So change our travel plans, whatever we got to do. They make a direct voyage uh, and end up in Philippi, verse 12, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And they remain there for some days. And on the Sabbath, they went outside the gate to the riverside where, where we suppose there'd be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord, look at this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized, so she was saved in this moment and baptized, her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is a pretty cool, this is a pretty cool scenario. Like the, the, the plans are, they're, they're going, they're going to Asia. No, no, they're not. They're, they end up in Philippi. They get there. Remember the first thing they always did when they went to a new city? What did they do? They went to the synagogues. Why didn't they go to the synagogue here? Because it was a Roman colony. There was no synagogue here. There wasn't even 10 Jewish men in a place to have a, uh, have a synagogue. So they found the next best place. They found a place outside the city gates on a Sabbath where, where the, the, the God seekers, sort of like Cornelius in Acts 10, not saved yet, but Kind of like trying to figure out this whole Jewish God thing that they were seeking God. They find a group of women there, unprecedented. First people there was preached to in Europe, women. Paul sits down, takes a 
teaching posture, sits down, joins this little like Bible study group of women, prayer group, and just shares the gospel. God opens up the heart of Lydia, super wealthy lady. She dealt with purple back in that day. That was, she was dealt with purple goods, which was probably pretty wealthy, big enough house to host them all. So she had something going on. She's hearing the gospel and the Holy Spirit's illuminating her mind and heart and she believes and is saved. And guess what happens? The church of Philippi is being born right before our eyes. You know, the book of Philippians, the church of Philippi, this is where it's being born. God's leading is so unpredictable. I can assure you when Paul and Silas and Timothy set out on this journey, the last place they would have figured they were going to end up was Philippi. And the last place they had planned to plant a church was in this Roman colony. And yet, here they are. Crazy, isn't it? How? Through a whole series of unprecedented coincidences? Is that what's happening? Unprecedented coincidences? Or these God-ordained alterations? Clearly, they're God-ordained alterations. Did you see this coming? I didn't see it coming. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas didn't see this coming. But notice this as we look at what it means to be on mission. Notice how these men were not so locked into their own agenda and, and so locked into their own plans, they weren't flexible to God's leading. They were so in tune with what God wanted, that they were willing to do whatever God said, whenever God said, however God said, and weren't so locked into their own thing that they missed the calling and the voice of God. I think before we move on, we just got to stop and acknowledge that there's there's something significant going on here. In our day and age, I wonder if this scenario would have ever happened. Because we in our culture get so locked into what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and when we're going to do it, we almost don't ever stop to continue to listen to the voice of God as we live our lives on mission. Never find yourself guilty of that? Oh good, I'm not the only one. So determined, so convinced, running, through, running, our, running our lives on mission for Jesus, forgetting the most important part. What's the most important part? living in tune with God, listening to the voice of God so that we can be truly used of God. Let me ask you this, as you're living your life on mission for Jesus Christ, are you open to having your plans changed to align with God's plans? Are you really open? Are you so set in your ways that this is where you're going to live and this is the job you're going to do and this is the person you're going to reach out to that you're maybe totally missing the activity of God in your life? Are you really open to God's plans as the disciples show us we ought to be? Let me tell you, this is what I think I learned from this text. Is that God desires more than anything in our lives, more than even doing things for him. He desires us to be living in tune with him so that he can truly lead us and guide us. So often in our lives, here's how our mission looks like. We Pray constantly, God lead, God bless me, but we don't stop and pray this, God lead me. God, here's what I'm going to do today, bless me. Here's a person who needs a Lord, bless it, God, but we don't stop and pray this, God, would you lead me today? Would you show me what your plan is for my life today? Would you show me what your agenda is for my life today? 
Maybe there's some people in this room that God wants to massively rearrange your life for the glory of God. If God spoke to you in a way that was going to radically change your life, would you allow him to lead you? Here's where Paul's at. Paul's saying this. Paul's like, hey, God, I programmed the GPS, but I'm going to give it to you. And anytime you want to change that program, you do so. God wants us to be open to his leading. Here's another thing I think I learned from just this little section here. God is allowed to open and close doors in our lives as he desires. God is allowed to open and close doors in our lives as he desires. I think sometimes we get locked in this mindset that when open doors are a blessing and closed doors are a curse. And all we pray for is God, open doors, open doors, open doors. And so we, we kind of tell God what to do. And we kind of ask God to be our little add-on in life and to, to come with us just to simply open all the doors we want him to open. But, but, but God doesn't work that way. And God can open and close doors in our lives as he pleases. Generally, here's how we respond to open doors. Yes, God, we praise you. Closed doors. What in the world, God? I thought you loved me. But in all the doors, open and closed, here's what God's doing in our lives. He's leading us into his perfect plan for our lives. I think we ought to adopt a little more of the heart of the disciples as they have here. They're, they're not offended by closed doors. They're not angry by, by closed doors. They're just going with the closed doors as if that's how God's leading them. I don't know about you, but I've grown to really thank the Lord for closed doors in my life because closed doors have saved my backside more times than I can count. Instead of getting discouraged by closed doors, we need to be encouraged by closed doors because we pray for God to lead us. And a closed door is clearly God leading us. You need to think about your life on mission and the closed doors that have come in your life that position you wanted, that hunt for a spouse, the house that you thought was supposed to be, even us looking for a church building, like closed doors are good things. We need to rejoice in the closed doors, trust that God is leading us through everything. When I first started dating Ruth, her parents had a little plaque in their bathroom that, that I'd see every time I went in their bathroom. It simply said this, when God closes a door, he opens a window. When God closes a door, he opens a window. As I think back on the last now almost 18 years of marriage, it's been so true. Why does God close doors? Why did God close these doors in the disciples' lives? Why does God close doors, unexpected doors in our lives? There's some reasons I think God closes doors that we need to embrace. And I think we know them, but we need to be reminded of them today. Why does God close doors for us? Some of you might be facing closed doors right now, and you're struggling with a closed door and asking, why are you closing doors, God? Here's why God closes doors for us, to protect us, for number one. We don't know what's on the other side of that door, but God does. To grow us in dependence on him, for number two. To remind us again that I don't lead this thing. God does to shape our character for number three. Every closed door gives us an opportunity to grow into the image of Jesus. And number four is this, because God has a better plan. We might not think so, but God has a better plan. God's allowed to open and close doors as he desires. Here's another thing I think I see in this little section of, 
of text as I studied it and thought about it and prayed about it. I love how the disciples in here, instead of running away from God, they realize that God's calling upon their lives has remained unchanged in the midst of even all the hardships and the struggles. In all of this, you notice that, that the resolve has never changed. We're like, we just got to get the gospel out. Okay, if that door's closed, I'm going somewhere else. But it never changes. They don't get discouraged. They don't want to quit or throw in the towel or quit serving or quit coming to church or whatever we're tempted to do. They're like, great, closed doors means that, that I have a different opportunity to share Jesus Christ and let his glory shine. And all the unexpected know this, that God's call on your life is unchanged. Last one I think I see is this. God's guidance always leads to greater fruitfulness. I made an allusion to this earlier, but this is the beginning of the church at Philippi. Lydia is the first convert. We're going to read the next two converts here in a second that form the first little core group of Philippi. Following God's leading always leads to fruitfulness. Ever been in the place where you've tried to pound down a door that God's closed? You're so determined that that's the one you're supposed to go through? Only to find that you get through it and it's not fruitful at all. Why is that? Because God closes doors and he can redirect you to a place of greater fruitfulness. Because these men were open to the Spirit of God, they saw awesome realities of God showing up in their lives. It reminds us that things won't always go according to our scripts, but when they don't, we don't need to fret or throw our hands up in the air in defeat. We just need to embrace what God is doing and allow God's Spirit to lead us. To truly allow God's Spirit to lead us. We can't miss this as we live on mission. God's spirit is the one who leads us to the places of greatest fruitfulness. So how do you be spirit-led, you ask? Let me, let me answer that in a few things here. How do you be spirit-led? We see this, the Holy Spirit forbade them. The Holy Spirit did not allow them. Well, how are these men spirit-led? Here's how we can be spirit-led as we aim to live on mission. Four quick things. Here's how we can be spirit-led as we aim to live on mission. Number one is simply this, pray hard. Pray hard, which includes the studying the word of God and other believers inputting into your life. Pray hard. What does God want you to accomplish this day, this week, this month, this year for the glory of God? Start praying. God, show me. God, use me. What's the second thing we can do? We can plan well. Do our best to plan well. Do our best to to make use of our gifts and our abilities and the places God's placed us. But number three is this, prepare to be redirected. Prepare to be redirected. So many of us get offline because we're not prepared to be redirected by God. Think back over my life and very few things have gone as I planned and as I prepared and yet they've gone much better than I could have ever made them happen. And the last thing is this, pursue wholeheartedly. Just keep pursuing Jesus knowing that God's in charge and he's really good at his job. Simply what it means to be spirit-led. God often, often leads us in ways that we are un, that are unpredictable. We need to be open to that and ready for that. Number two is this: God often orchestrates confusing scenarios in our lives. Story is not finished there. God often orchestrates confusing scenarios in our lives. So Paul and Silas coming off this high of a little mini revival happening in Philippi. 
probably thinking that God's now just going to open this door wide. Nothing bad can happen from here. You know how we sort of get in that mindset sometimes. Well, what can happen now? We're following God. God's doing things. What can bad happen? What bad can happen now? So they, they keep going to the Going to the place of prayer again, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So as they're preaching, as they're teaching, this slave girl comes and kind of attaches herself to the back of their parade. And she followed Paul and she started crying out this, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul became greatly annoyed with this, as I'm sure you and I would as well, this little yappy girl running behind us. He turned to her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of that very hour, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them before the magistrates, they said this, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them. They stripped them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Another unexpected, isn't it? But things were going so well. What could possibly go wrong now? And yet God orchestrates this confusing scenario that is, is really devastating to, the, to the group, his group of followers. What's really happening in this text, just to help you understand the context of this, sounds like it's all good. Like, why would they cast a demon of a girl who's proclaiming Jesus? Well, what's happening is, is this, this girl decides she's going to become their own marketing manager. I, I'm going to be their marketing manager. But she's controlled by demons. And, and she's telling fortunes. And when there's talks about telling fortunes, it's not like we think of today where they're like, ooh, you know, or the palm reading. She's actually controlled by demons to the place where she'd go into a trance and start convulsing, and then the demons would speak from her. So the fact that she was following with the, 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 the children of God, God's messengers, the people in the city were starting to think that maybe she was part of this movement of Jesus, a movement of the way. And so she was trying to capitalize on the power, the real power of God by tagging herself on the back. And so, so people would associate her with that to try and to play off the power of what was happening in the disciples' lives. And so Paul has none, uh, none of this. And so he stops and he casts out the demon. We think, awesome, she's no longer under control of the, the enemy. That's awesome. That, that was awesome. Chances are she was part of the core group of the early church in Philippi, but her owners get all upset. And they start lumping Paul and Silas in with the Jews. And it was unlawful for the Jews to, to bring any customs to the Roman Empire. So that's going to be a prison sentence. And that's how this whole scenario plays out. They get beaten. They get beaten profusely. They get thrown in jail and find themselves on the midst of following God. Where do they find themselves? Shackled in jail, beaten to a pulp. And we think, well, how could God ever orchestrate this? If we follow God, doesn't it always work out good? Doesn't he allow these things to not happen to believers? If you're following along with us in the book of Acts, this is the general protocol for people who are actually following Jesus on mission. 
Lots of prayer happening. The Holy Spirit falls. This is a, this is a general pattern of Acts. Holy Spirit falls. There's a bold proclamation of the Word of God. It's not a goofy little sideshow of, of charismatic stuff. It's actually a bold proclamation of the Word of God when the Holy Spirit falls. And then people get saved. The bold preaching. People get saved. And then opposition comes. And, and the enemy tries to take out the believers. But what happens is the people start praying again. The whole pattern starts all over again. And so in the midst of this journey, it starts out kind of well, a couple of blockades, but it starts going the right direction. They end up in a confusing scenario. Can you imagine Paul and Silas in this place? But, but God, we're doing your work. But God, we just casted out a demon. So a woman got saved. Like, why this? Why now? It's the same place I think we always find ourselves when things get hard in life, isn't it? Why this? Why now? Ever found yourself asking that same question? Great three-letter question that we ask so often, but God, why? And then we often think, because it doesn't make sense to us, because it hurts, that this possibly can't be of God. But I want to tell you this, most often, here's how it works. When God leads you into his purposes for your life, it's more often like a war than a game. It's more often gets harder than easier. And it doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean you've missed a turn somewhere in the way. It means that God is going to do something even greater in your life and through your life than than you could have ever pictured on your own. It's important truth because I've seen so many many believers get to this point in this chapter and their story of of wanting to follow God and and seeing God lead them and seeing great things happen. But the moment things get hard, the moment things get difficult, what do we do? What do many believers do? They jump off the train. Disillusioned. Cynical. Thought God loved me. If he really loved me, he wouldn't allow hard things into my life. Is that true? That's a full misunderstanding of God. God has greater purposes for your life than for you to simply be comfortable and to avoid pain. When we get to those places, instead of, instead of jumping off the train, this is, this is a great time to, to get closer to God and to seek to know God more and to seek to get believers around you to encourage you and strengthen you to keep going. Even guessing that some people even in this room might be in that place today. Might be in this place of maybe not having a girl filled with a demon running behind you shouting things, but in this place where, where people that even seem for you, they've turned on you and, and you can't figure out why and you feel because they've turned on you that God has left you. And they smile and tell you that they're for you and all the right things, but in reality they're working against you and undermining you. Maybe you find yourself there. Maybe you find yourself beaten down by the world and feeling trapped in a prison of circumstances just like Paul and Silas did, wondering how God can you ever use this and how this could ever be a part of the mission of God for Jesus Christ. Maybe you find yourselves just in a generally hard place trying to figure out the whole ins and outs of God and how he works. I just want to encourage you with this today. These times are important for your journey. They're important for your strengthening of your faith. They're important to grow your inner resolve to love and serve Jesus. They're important uh, as they give you an opportunity to know God and see God in greater ways. So if you find yourself in this place today, don't give up. 
When you find yourself thinking these thoughts, like, what's up, God? You ever find yourself like, what's up, God? But God, what's up? I've been trying to do everything right. I'm trying to live for you. How do I find myself here? What's up? Let me encourage you this. When you start asking the question, what's up? Don't give up, but look up, knowing that God's going to show up. I don't know about you, but I find myself there a lot. What's up? It's way harder than it's supposed to be. God always works in ways that are way higher than our ways. And they're always right and they're always good. He works in unexpected ways. So whenever we get to this place, instead of giving up and throwing in the towel, here's what we can do. We say, God, I'm going to expect the unexpected this time. I didn't expect the unexpected this time. I didn't expect that you're going to show up in a way that, that you'd never have shown up if things would have been smooth. I didn't expect that you're going to show your glory in my life and through my life in an unprecedented way because that's the kind of God you are. And that's the kind of God that we see playing out here as we finish off this chapter. It's been a crazy chapter so far. Roadblocks and some highs, some lows. It's just setting us up for the pinnacle of the story. Here's the pinnacle of the story. Paul and Silas in jail, beaten down, probably confused. But look at what's happening in jail, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And that's what was going to happen anyway, so let's make this quick and snappy. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's heard their message, seen them rejoicing. He becomes saved through this whole thing. Here's what it is. What must I do to be saved? Simply this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Pretty cool story, don't you think? In all the unexpected of this whole missionary journey, here's the third point I want you to write in your notes. God's ultimate plan is often beyond our comprehension. Unexpected, unexpected, unexpected. Here's the kind of the good unexpected. God's ultimate plan. Like, who could have orchestrated this but God? Who would have depicted this ending but God? Look at all the good unexpected in this Last few verses, the same unexpected that we can expect when we follow God and love God and follow him into his mission. Look at God's rescue. God, God's style rescue happens at an unexpected hour. It's midnight. Verse 25. They're singing hymns to the Lord, living out Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice always, right? And again, I say rejoice. Even in hard times, we can rejoice. This is what the disciples are doing. They're rejoicing. They're singing songs in the hardest place. You know, souls get down. What do we do? Try worship. It works. 
They're worshiping Jesus, and God shows up. And let's be honest, we think God's going to show up at like a good time, a godly time, right? Our Bible college president told us nothing good happens after midnight except in Acts 16. Unexpected. They're not praying for deliverance, they're just worshiping God, and God shows up. I want to encourage you with this, God often shows up, not on our clock, but on his clock. His business hours are completely different than ours. And he often shows up when we don't expect it and when we least expect it. So he shows up at an unexpected hour. This is a good reminder for us. We have our tossing and turnings at nights to not just, not just waste those times, but to, to worship and to expect God to show up. He shows up through an unexpected means. He, does, he, he shows up through an earthquake. God decides, now's the time I'm going to rescue him. He grabs the globe and gives it a couple quick shakes. Probably like a 6.0 or higher on the Richter scale, this earthquake, because the foundations were trembling and even the, the shackles fell out of the sides of the jail. So it's probably like, it wasn't a small earthquake. Imagine the disciples were like, probably first thought was like, really, another bad thing's happening? Man, bad things happen in threes. God doesn't add the same we do because this is the third thing. It's a good thing. God's going to turn this gong show into a godsend. Then through an unexpected circumstance, the, the whole thing was, the, the means is, is an earthquake. It wasn't, it wasn't God breaking them out through a skilled lawyer or clever plan or a dramatic rescue team. It's an earthquake. And then an unexpected circumstance, they're free. The rubble didn't fall on them. It actually released them and they find themselves free. Can you imagine if you and I were in this situation, all of a sudden we're, we've just been beaten, had the tar beaten out of us, and now we're free. What would you do? Let's be honest, what would you do? I'd be running for daylight, wouldn't you? Unexpected circumstance, they're free and they're not going anywhere. They're standing there waiting for the jailer. He's going to kill himself because he realizes the prisoners get free, like he's going to be killed anyway. So make it quick, make it simple, forget the shame on his family. They call out, don't do that. We're here. He comes and sees them. Unexpected reaction. He sees them. He falls on their feet, trembling. He cleans their wounds up. This is so bizarre. Unexpected reaction of the disciples. Unexpected reaction of the jailer. Paul and Silas didn't know this was going to happen. They probably thought he'd take them back into custody and throw them back in jail and and have his life spared, but he doesn't. He cleans their wounds. He takes them back to his house. They share Jesus with everybody, and after he finished washing their wounds, now they wash his, they wash his sins away by confession of his faith through baptism. So many crazy things happening in this passage. He and his whole household are saved. It doesn't mean that he had babies in this house that were probably dunked because he was saved. It probably means that he was a jailer, probably 45 or 50, and his kids are probably old enough to hear and understand. He tells them the story. They hear the gospel. They're like, there's no doubt that this man, these, these guys are, this, this God is real, and these guys are proclaiming the real Jesus. They actually profess their faith in Jesus too, and they have a great big baptism service of everybody believers baptism. I know this text is often used to defend infant baptism. And for those that maybe would sit on that side today, let me ask you this. If, if these were all babies that were being baptized, then why in uh, Acts 15, when there was a big debate about circumcision, why is there nothing in the scriptures that said, well, just be, just be baptized instead? That makes sense. 
But it's not there. This is, this is really a, a, a showing of new life in Jesus Christ, commitments in Jesus Christ, all being baptized to exemplify their new life in Christ. And then it gets better because the magistrates find out that they actually aren't Jewish. They're Roman. They come and actually apologize to the disciples. That's the end of this. And they escort them out on their own. Like, this is a whole, like, what in the world is going on? Just when you think you've seen all the unexpected you could see in one chapter, the last one is people who just finished beating them are now exonerating them and sending them on their way with a blessing. (laughs) Who could script this stuff? It almost sounds like a cheesy Christian flick, doesn't it? Where everything turns out right at the end. And, and yet this is truth. This is reality. This is God. This is how God works in his people. This is, this is the unexpected nature of our God. Just when you th- think we could write him off, he shows up and does the unthinkable and the ultimate rescue in a way that only he can, in such a way that people can realize it's only God. And really it's the first expected of this whole chapter. All these unexpected, but this is really the expected end that we should expect. God totally redeems everything to show his sovereign power, dominion, glory, and authority over all things. And this is the same God that we serve today. The same God that we can expect in our lives as we live our lives on mission for Jesus. Simply put this way, God always comes through for his people. He always comes through. Might not be as dramatic, but the same God is for us who will also show up in our lives at unexpected hours through unexpected means resulting in unexpected circumstances, reactions, and results. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we follow into on mission. A God who will never leave us. A God who will never fail us. To read through Acts 16, I just find this is an encouraging passage for our lives. Sometimes we come to church and we get convicted and we're hit with like, wow, man, my life's so out of line. Sometimes we come to church and we just get encouraged with the fact of God's faithful nature, his loving care and concern for his people. This is one of those times. And in it, we see how we can also navigate through all the unexpecteds in our lives. Think of your life from the, the, as long as you can remember till now. How many unexpecteds were there in your life? My whole life is a series of unexpecteds. And I like things planned, and I'm sure you do too. And we like to know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, and when the unexpected comes, generally we get unraveled. But you know what, brothers and sisters? We don't need to be unraveled with any, any good news or bad news. We can trust as we follow God on mission that he has everything covered. Good news, bad news. Who can say? I can say. God can say it's going to work out for good for those who love Jesus. You know where Acts 16 leaves us? Simply with this. Three application points. No matter what happens in life, you can be in a place where you always praise, praise God. How do I live in light of Acts 16? You can live in a way of always praising God. Heard this many times, God is good all the time and all the time. Through the blessings and the pain, 
God is good. You can sit tight. Don't panic. Don't get cocky. Wait for God to show up. His grand plan can often be confusing in our lives, but get this, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Your role in the whole thing is simply to praise God, just like disciples did. Praise God, worship Jesus, even when it's the most difficult. Always praise Jesus. That's God's plan for our lives. Every circumstance, praise Jesus. Every, every hard scenario, find a way to praise Jesus. Every good thing, make sure the glory goes to God. Here's the second way we can live this out as we plan to be on mission for Jesus. Always proclaim him. Always praise him, always proclaim him. I love how the disciples were on such a missional mindset. They weren't even thinking of themselves when this whole thing went down. None of these things are thinking of themselves. They're always thinking of a way to proclaim Jesus. How can I use this too to proclaim Jesus Christ? How can I use this hardship to show others the, the glory of God? How can I use this blessing to show others the glory of God? How can I in every season proclaim the goodness of Jesus and the truth of his salvation? That's our goal to, in being on mission for Christ. And the last one is this, always expect God to show up. Always expect God to show up. Never give up on God, brothers and sisters. Don't turn your back on God. Don't get frustrated too soon like it's all supposed to be understood by me and be, be a smooth sailing for me, for me. You have to understand this about the scriptures. We understand God. God's always at work. John 5 tells us that God is always at work. John 5, 17. Even when you can't see it, God is at work and sometimes he is preparing our lives in such a way that he's going to show his glory through us in a greater way than we could have ever imagined. So don't give up. I'm sure some of you in here are tempted to give up today. Don't give up. Don't stop expecting a God ending in your life. Don't stop expecting a God ending in your relationship, in your job circumstance, in your, in your struggle for joy. Don't ever stop expecting a God ending. Because God can turn this thing around in a heartbeat when he's ready in his time. And God can reveal himself through your life in a way that you would never ever begin to have imagined on your own. God always comes through. He is a God of unexpecteds. And he has a perfect plan for your life that you won't ultimately understand until glory. But on this side of it, we love him and we live for him and we trust him. Believing that everything he tells us in his word is true. And that he will never, ever fail us. This is just a truth that you need to know if you're going to live your life on mission for Jesus and be faithful to the very end. This is a truth that you need to encourage yourself with on a daily basis, daily unexpected. This is a truth you're going to have to encourage your small group with all the time. This is a truth that we don't just believe, but we aim to live for the glory of Jesus Christ.